Uh, this is a rather uh, nuanced question. I don't know who asked it, and I'm curious to know what interest they have in it. I, I, I propose, I suppose, that maybe there's something that they are relating to personally, but it's a topic that's not often discussed. The question is, what is the inner meaning of chalitza? <laughs> what is the inner meaning of chalitza? Before you can answer the question, what is the inner meaning of chalitza, you have to answer what is the inner meaning of yibum. Um, yibum is a mitzvah seder that superficially seems incredibly, uh, what's the word, against women. It's a mitzvah, right? The law is that a man is not allowed to marry his brother's wife even after he passes away. A man is allowed to marry his wife's sister if his wife dies. In other words, for a man to marry the sister of his wife, the wife has to have been deceased. But for a woman to marry the brother of her husband is not allowed even after he dies. And it's Isra, it's Isra Misa, it's a goddess. It's a big Aveda. But, sometimes this Aveda becomes a mitzvah. And that's why Yibum is so tricky. Because um, Yibum is taking a, a circumstance, which is marrying the wife of your brother, which is a terrible Aveda, and turning it around and making it a mitzvah if there are no children from the union, from the marriage, right? Or if the husband has no children from any marriage. That's why Mesechti Yivamas is so complicated, because it's a, it's a mitzvah that if you make the slightest mistake, it's an Aveda. On the other hand, if it's not an Aveda, then there's a, a mitzvah to do Yibu. Now, what kind of mitzvah is this? A man dies, he has no children, and his brother has to marry his wife. And the the, the the standard answer is uh, Gilgulim. It's a Kabbalistic idea. I don't know if there's an explanation less than that in Torah. Now, understand that it says in Svarim, I looked it up in the Rambam, that Yibam is an ancient practice, meaning to say that before the Torah was given, people practiced Yibam. Now, when we say that before the Torah was given, people practiced Yibam, and when the Torah was given, we continue to practice Yibam, you must understand what that means. It means that there was a wisdom, there was a, t a knowledge which traces itself back to other Marishan that existed in the ancient world which isn't just people creating uh, nonsensical laws but they're rooted in the wisdom of the creation itself. In other words, we know that other Marishan studied Torah. We know that Nayak studied Torah and the others not only studied the Torah but they practiced the mitzvahs. But it says in Sfarim, they knew it from the Kabbalah. They knew the mysticism, they knew the Soid, because they had a very deep mind and they're able to tap into Emes in whatever means, either through Chochmah or through Nevu and Ruach HaKadosh. And they had this secret wisdom. This secret wisdom was the basis for ancient practices. Like the Rambam also writes about marriage. And so forth. And we hold that the laws of marriage that are in the Torah are based on the laws of marriage from before. Not because we're holding on to ancient practices, but because these ancient practices are part of the Chochmah of the Ebishter that humankind had from the beginning of time.
from Adam and Chava. And the same is true of Yibum. Yibum existed before Matan Teres, so Drama Maitzah made in Nebuchadnezzar, and that it was maintained. And Pedik Memtes of Gimel. It was held on to. The reason they had the practice of Yibum, because they tapped into the spirit of the creation, which is Emes, the Eibishter. And the idea of Yibum is a part of that. Why? Because of Gilgal Neshamas. This is brought in all the Neshamas that are based on Kabbalah. And of course, the source of Gilgal Neshamas and Tadus in Pashas Vayeshev, with the story of Yehuda and Tamar, where you have the occasion of Yibum. And then, of course, again, it's repeated in Pashas Kisheitse, where the Pasha of Yibum is found. And the idea is that two brothers are Beza Nafim and Ashedish. They're two branches from the same root. And if they're Beza Nafim and Ashedish, biologically, they're Beza Nafim and Ashedish in their Neshama. There's a relatedness between the Neshama of two brothers. And of course, we know that every neshama is zochar and a keva. Every soul is male and female. They're a, they're a, a unit. They're one soul divided up into two that rejoin. So if a brother passes away without any children, the concept of yibum, the theoretical concept of yibum, is that his wife, the wife of the deceased brother, has a soul relationship with the brothers of that deceased because the two male souls have a connection. Now there's something you have to understand about Gilgulim. And that is, I'm going to give you a very simple example, okay? What does Gilgul Neshamas mean? That you have many souls that are the same, that come again and again. It's really not true. Souls don't come again and again. Souls have babies. The parent soul has a spark, which becomes a, ba- a, a, a secondary soul and a tertiary soul. But there's a relatedness between souls. But you have to understand this. If a soul is reincarnated, reincarnated many times, it's in many different bodies, for example. Those bodies are distinctive. The reincarnation is in the soul. The reincarnation is not in the body. So if a person's neshama is nizgalgal a hundred times or a thousand times or ten thousand times, it's the same neshama reappearing ten thousand times. And again, it's really not the same neshama. It's related souls. But the bodies are totally separate. And therefore, when Tchiyas mesem happens, each one of those souls reinvests itself in the body. Because once a body is born, it never dies. So even though intermittently a person passes away, the body goes on the ground and it's decomposed and it's reduced to an etzim luz. But Tchiyas HaMesim means every piece of earth that held life lives again. So the souls may have a relatedness, which would argue that in Tchiyas HaMesim they should all become one again, but the bodies don't. Which is why when a soul in this life appeared many times in Tchiyas HaMesim it's going to be in many different bodies. Here's the thing that's interesting. The female half of the neshom is like the body. Just like the body is not reincarnated, it's a separate body each time. When a neshama goes through Gilgal, the component of Gilgal is in the Zohar half of the neshama. The nekeva half of the neshama, and each Gilgal is, is different, is new. So, Reuven dies without children. Shimon marries Reuven's wife. Why? Shimon, the wife of Reuven, is the other half of Reuven. But the wife of Reuven, the Reuven, is not connected to the source of what Reuven is connected to because each time a female half of a soul emerges, it's a new thing just like the body. So you don't have to concern yourself with that Neshama's connection to earlier incarnations. So that's why the brother, who's a different Neshama but related in a less direct way, can then complete the purpose of this Neshama by marrying the wife.
but you know we don't do yibum nowadays, certainly amongst Ashkenazim, because uh, it's it's practically impossible for a man to marry the wife of his brother, because it's a mitzvah, not because they find that they're compatible. Requires incredibly special people, pure people, virtuous people, principled people. Otherwise, it's doomed to fail. We don't do yibum; we do chalitza. And of course, the mitzvah of chalitza is that she removes his shoe and she spits and she says, and all the people had to say three times, Now, there's a lot of details in chalitza. I'm just going to mention the fact about the shoe. Right? The shoe on the foot is like a body on a soul. Think about it. The clothing we wear are, are a body to our body just like our body is a body to our soul. So, there's a relation between a soul and a body. That in mysticism, this is the relation between a man and a woman. So when a man refuses to do chalitza, in other words, he's refusing to attach to a body that he has to complete uh, because of a relationship to his brother, so she takes the body away. And that's the symbolism of taking the shoe off. Why the shoe? Because the shoe is the very body, bottom of the person. Because this has a relationship with the children that they would bring into the world. The, the, the bottom of the person, the foot, is the source of what's going to come next, which are the children. So she removes his shoe, symbolizing that because he is refusing to complete a body mystically, that he has a mystical relationship with, therefore... His, she takes his, the body off. Now the other aspects about spitting and saying each one of those things also has significance, also has um, a meaning, but I don't know it uh, with a source. I'm just going to get to spitting. I'm going to mention that spit has to do with speech. You cannot speak without saliva. Right? When a person has no moisture in his mouth, he becomes hoarse. Which is called Nichar Groini, which is also a concept which is explained in Kabbalah, that if there's no moisture in your mouth and your inability to, there's an inability to speak, it represents that there's a lack of transmission from a higher generation to a lower generation. So the significance of spitting, I'm suggesting, is to remove a necessary component of speech. And speech also has to do with procreation. The Abish the that created the world with speech. And in order for the words to come out clear, it's not enough that you have vocal cords and that you have ear, you also have to have moisture. So her spitting is symbolizing that there is a need to complete a body, which is represented by the shoe, by joining it with a related soul. And when one refuses to do that, you take that shoe away, you take that boot away, and you spit to connote that the, the power of speech, which is also associated with creation, and therefore the procreation, is, uh, is compromised. And then the third aspect is that she says, and everybody will save that for a different time. I just want to say that um, when someone asks a question like this, I have to answer it directly. I can't beat around the bush. These ideas may appear to some people to be very sexist, very against women. Um, and I don't have time to make the long apology and to give all the gentle background that would uh, accommodate that. So I'm answering the question directly, and um, I, I really don't mean to be offensive. I'm explaining to you based how I understand that Kabbalah explains it. 
Um, but in no way is Taita anti-woman. It's just that Taita understands the role of women and the definition of a man. And the definition of, forget about role, the definition of a man, definition of a woman in a different way. And uh, according to Taita, a man can't be with a woman and a woman can't be without a man. A man can't be without a woman, a woman can be without a man. There's a, a mutual interdependence. Okay, I hope that's helpful.